week's Fifth Step podcast, Darren Ray is going to be talking about his recent uh, trip to Monte Carlo. Uh, he was in Monte Carlo, as you might expect, for the Monte Carlo Rendezvous, the famous reinsurance rendezvous, which is generally not attended by CIOs and IT leader, uh, leaders, but uh, this year Darren went there to pick up some, uh, some of the latest prevailing views on what's happening in the world of insurance and reinsurance. Uh, and all the talk of disruption uh, and technology and how that's going to be you know, changing the industry. Uh, so, Darren, um, what did you what did you learn from your lovely trip to uh, the Riviera? Well, I'm very glad, Chris, that you uh, you know qualified it as a you know as a business trip, but <laughs> not just some jolly that I was then going to podcast about. But um, no, thanks for that. Um, you're right; it's not usually attended by uh, IT leadership teams. But that's actually very, very key because IT leadership needs to be very aligned to the business leadership and to the business strategy, something we've spoken about a lot on this podcast in the, uh, in the past, Chris. Yep. So with that, looking at what what the prevailing trends are and how it's all working and what people are thinking uh, was actually key to the, the takeaway. So there were a number of aspects that, uh, that I picked up. Um, one of the ones is uh, blockchain. Uh, last year you couldn't move for people uh, talking at Rendezvous. And Rendezvous is an insurance event, by the way, for, um, for people who perhaps uh, are un, uh, unfamiliar yeah, with. It's been going back 50 years, apparently. Now, it has, Which is yeah, uh, amazing. Right. When you think about it, you know, the world of you know, insurance and Lloyds, you know, the Lloyds of London market has been going back 300 years. The Monte Carlo Rendezvous goes back 50 years. So it's, uh, it's generally considered a fairly conservative and traditional event, mm. but that seems to be changing now, doesn't it? I think it's changing a little bit, uh, a little bit slowly still, but um, certainly blockchain though um, is one of those areas where there's a lot of interest, and there was a lot more interest last year, but this year, as I as I think I predicted in our in our New Year That's podcast, right, yeah, you did. Um, I said that people were going to start actually doing things with, with blockchain now. It wasn't going to be a talking point. It wasn't going to be something that people were looking for what they needed. It was going to actually start taking place, and so you've got. Um, uh, initiatives like the B3I initiative, which is bringing together insurers and some brokers as well. Yeah, uh, Aon Benfield, that's right. Yeah. Aon, Aon Benfield, um, a few others, I think JMT have uh, joined. Allianz, uh, Hanover Re, Liberty Mutual, uh, Munich Re are some of the ones that I've got noted down here. And actually, also, I don't know if you probably didn't see the news this morning, but one of the news feeds I, I saw that I think they've got 22 new carriers that I think have uh, joined up. Um, that's fo- brilliant. Following, yeah. following that, that, that yeah. event. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I very much think that blockchain is um, is a very good solution. It's a very apt solution for the insurance sector and for financial services. And to some degree, many people might say, oh, it's just a database after all, but it's not actually the means of storage. It's the means of communication and the agreement of a centralised... How, how can it, how is it going to say, it's based on distributed ledger technology, isn't it, really? So, mm-hmm. I mean, is it worth having a quick recap to, uh, to uh, explain to people how that might, say, uh, impact on the, an insurance or reinsurance company? Yeah, okay, let's do, let's do a quick, um, you know, very quick uh, recap and let people go back yeah. and have a listen to one of our blockchain uh, podcasts. It's probably the best thing to do. But a distributed ledger is a means of having a centralised database, for want of a better phrase, that enables all parties involved to have a trusted source. Now, the great thing about this is it uses um, cryptographic technology to allow organizations to have trust in both the information that's in there and uh, to limit the organization's ability to update the information after it's been written. 
Um, according to I mean, uh, you, your, your blog, you did a, a blog writer mm, uh, following the event. I think you mentioned that the system, in terms of uh, B3I, uh, this is taken from an, an Allianz uh, news feed, I think, you, mm. your person you spoke to when you were out there, possibly. Uh, it said the system apparently covers the major elements of the property cat XL reinsurance contract life cycle. So, That's right. So we're talking about some smart contract set up here, premium settlement and claim settlement. So it looks like it's really you know, it's starting to deliver now. Yeah, uh, and that's the key aspect is there, there are some, some, some obvious areas where a blockchain can be used in insurance. This is starting to pick them off and starting to identify them and actually start to demonstrate the, the benefits to the insurers, to the brokers, um, to everyone involved in the chain. And demonstrate that benefit so that actually you can build on the you can build the business case to do the next uh, line of business and the you know the area where there's perhaps a slight you know not quite as much of a business case or not quite as, uh, an obvious business case. I mean, one of the things here is, is, is kind of highlight, it highlights the difference between a smart contract and a normal contract, doesn't it? So, mm. in terms of again, smart contracts is something we've talked about. I think the the pre the, the, the most commonly identified example is travel insurance, isn't it? That's yeah, that's a, certainly the one that I always use because it's uh, an area that everyone understands. So um, the idea being you have a smart contract associated with your travel insurance, um, your flight gets cancelled, you know, perhaps you're flying uh, Ryanair or Monarch or, or perhaps it's just, um, you know, French air traffic control go on strike as, uh, as happened for me returning from uh, Monte Carlo. So if any of those things happen... Uh, you have a trusted third party in the shape of the airline who reports that the flight has been cancelled. Um, they notify the insurance carriers. The insurance carriers know that you are travelling on that uh, on that flight, and therefore they know that uh, you are due for a um, you know, a cancellation uh, you know a cancellation claim or uh, yeah. you know, a delay claim, etc., etc. So you've got all of those things. Now the reason that that works very well for the insurers is um, it's. It's frictionless in that there's no or very little human interaction in that process um, once the, um, the smart contract has been established and once the policy has been purchased. For the insured, obviously, works very well because they get paid that, that bit quicker and they don't have to fill out any you know, pesky forms because the information is all there and it's available. Okay. In terms of... Um other topics that came up. Um, I mean, I was at a conference yesterday where cyber continues to sort of top the list of like insurer and underwriter concerns. Mm. Is that is that something that cropped up when you when you're out there? Did you have any conversations about cyber related issues? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's. Um, you're right, Chris. It remains a, a very topical piece. We've spoken about it lots on this podcast, but PwC are reporting um, that there's. You know, lots going on. It's um, uh, you know, the insurers are trying to uh, tackle the riskiest exposures uh, around the reinsurance cut of uh, um, what do they call it? The reinsurance cut of banana skins. Um, so it topped out. Um, you know, topped out the the top of oh, yeah, um, that's of that yeah. survey. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, aspects like that are really important. They're bringing other insurers who are you know are perhaps considering this or or not aware of it. So. The CIO takeaway for this is that helping the business and the cyber team within your organisation understand the risks, making sure that they're understanding the full life cycle of the risks, not just the, um, you know, not just the the piece post breach, but understanding, you know, how can your your organisation as a carrier, how can they help? Your clients mitigate those risks. Mm. You know? Did you see any CIOs when you were out there? Any uh, t- uh, sort of uh, uh, te- technology 
leaders or anyone like that? No, I didn't. IT leadership teams? No, I didn't, Chris. It's no. amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think, you know, would you recommend that, that people maybe start thinking about going out there this year? Is it, is, is it even worse than wondering, wondering asking the questions? Is it worth setting up a CIO group that might be you know, an IT leadership group that should be going out? Well, I'd be very interested if there are you know, CIOs listening who, who's, um, you know, chief underwriters or um, CEOs, uh, COOs, etc. Um, you know, head of reinsurance were going out to rendezvous and, you know, whether they thought that it would be a, a good opportunity for them. But I think this is very much focused at the insurance and reinsurance sectors. And it's about the insurers speaking to reinsurers and doing reinsurance deals and it's about the reinsurers talking to insurance insurers and getting those deals done yeah bearing in mind what we said in the past about how it affects all different parts of the mm. business and you need to work with your different business units and, and actually when the excel cap then i'm seeing in the blog that you wrote i mean they said well no reinsurance growth remains challenging it's going to innovation is going to be a critical uh, critical topic these yep. days so uh, and that's one of the things that you discovered when you're out there wasn't there there was lots of talk about obviously innovation as it was the previous year yeah i mean innovation around these things is a constant pressure for the insurance sector and the rest of financial services but for insurers and reinsurers looking at insure tech looking at innovation is very much key uh, you know and it continues to be because these organizations have a tendency to be conservative and you know happy with the status quo, and that's rich pickings in a ripe field for um, you know for disruptive organisations to come in and um, would disrupt the way that things are working. You know to become the Uber of um, of the insurance sector. Well, that's a key that word. It's a big buzzword at the moment because obviously one of the things that you know, people are discussing is the regulatory backlash against innovation and in light of what's happened to Uber. Uh, you know, and the, the backlash coming mm. from the vested interest, oh, interest, but traditional lobbies like Black Cat, uh, and now the uh, TfL Transport for London uh, are getting in on the act. I guess this is one of the other key takeaways, isn't it? That you need to prepare the groundwork for if you're doing innovation. Well, have you put in the regulatory spadework? Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the areas that the incumbents, so the insurers and reinsurers, have a real benefit over. <coughs> over the upstarts and the, the startup organisations because they understand the regulatory framework. It's where those organisations, as Uber has tried to do, for example, you know, try to work around that regulatory uh, framework and try to represent themselves as you know, not insurers, as a new class of insurer or a different type of insurer, something like that. That doesn't come under the same regulatory scrutiny that a traditional insurer or re reinsurance company does. Yeah. Yeah, so there was there was there was plenty of thought. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the reinsurance market is it's alive uh, to to the threat of disruption. Um, but the question is, you know, how can you know, the insurance market leverage the benefits of new technology? I mean, are, are there any other, other other areas? I mean, there's been talk of um, oh, of data of data analytics, and you know, the recent conference I was at the InsureTech conference. Um, that data being referred to as the new sort of currency, as much in much the same way that oil was in, you know, in the last last century, is data the new uh, the new digital currency? Um, I think that there's value in data that people do not appreciate, um, and insurers have uh, hosts of data, you know, heaps of data, tons of data, whichever uh, collective noun you want to use there. Um, they have a lot of data that they can mine and actually find additional information out 
Um, now, it, when you combine that with other data sources, sometimes publicly available data sources, the opportunities are there to identify new trends, new products even, uh, from analysing your data. But it takes you know, smart people, data scientists, uh, real data analysts um, to understand what the information in the data is actually representing. And it takes smart people to be able to combine it with you know, perhaps publicly available data sources or perhaps uh, data sources that need to be purchased to actually augment that information, that data source to provide is that, a, is that a service I mean, that Fistep provides? I mean, if, if you, uh, do, do you help in terms of providing uh, possibly not data scientists but help, uh, uh, people who can go and then help people to free up the data and make it you know, flow throughout the organisation more we, we provide um, a service um, around uh, chief data officers um, who uh, can How's certainly... Well, it's a, um, it's a very traditional fifth-step model in terms of flex-up, flex-down capability. So uh, from a, an engagement perspective, we can um, provide all the services that a, a chief data officer would provide, so understanding of the data, understanding of uh, other sources of data, understanding how you may optimise the data and um, put uh, data governance in place to make sure the data is up-to-date because the last thing you want to be doing for... Um, you know, solvency two reasons, or GDPR reasons, or or just good decision making reasons, um, is to have you know poor quality data, yeah. um, and then understanding what data sources there are that are available, either as I say publicly or privately, um, that can be combined with your data to actually um, expose greater um, sources of information. Mm. You know, and sometimes they come from random places. So, I mean, there was there was one that's interesting, and I think probably is often quoted now, um, but it was found that people who pay their bills on time are actually safer drivers, for example. It's a really random correlation, but um, they found, um, it was, uh, I believe it was an Australian, um, Australian insurer who first discovered this, and the more they looked into it, the more they found a good correlation. Um, so actually, if you do a credit check on someone and they've got a good credit score, that may actually mean that they're a better driver too. So, um, so that's a, a correlation, was it? Yeah, yeah. but it does. I suppose it, it makes sense at one level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, uh, and at one level, but those levels can sometimes be simplistic. So I'm, you know, those kind of things are the kind of correlations that sometimes you can find, and sometimes you can find exceptions to them too. But putting in place good data analysis and good data scientists who can understand the data, understand how to combine the data, you know, combined with a good uh, chief data officer yeah. um, to ensure that... Uh, about data, I actually found out a few years ago that uh, da datum is the singular and data is the plural. I'm very proud, proud of myself to finally make this uh, learned discovery. That's um, for someone who uh, spends all their time with words, Chris. That's quite a professional <laughs> no, 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 podcast. No, no, no. Well done. No, no, well, a bit like quantum. Everyone thinks that uh, the quantum is the uh, is a large amount. It's actually a tiny uh, quantum is a tiny amount, isn't it? Did you yes, know that? So grammar lessons and all sorts of things. Well, grammar lessons, uh, but also a background in physics helps me uh, with, uh, with that because that uh, tends to be uh, uh, you know, uh, tends to be the measure that you use. Um, in uh, in physics, um, but uh, yeah, good. Um, well, good. let's move on from the derivation of words. Um, perhaps we can start that up as a separate podcast. That'd be a separate podcast. Yeah. That'd be yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, o a new stream. Isn't now? Is it octopuses or octopi or octopuses? <laughs> uh, who knows? Um, so you're on dangerous uh, territory here. Right. Well, I think, I think on, the, on that on that on that on that note, on I that bombshell, on that bombshell. Yes, move move on to uh, a quantum of uh, of, of new podcast will be the, the next next step. 
And uh, that, they, those you can download at the Fifth Step website address, which is www.fifthstep.com. I'm going to stick to that. If I spell it again, I'll fall over. <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, also we have our, as, we, as you all know, or as regular listeners will, will obviously know, but new listeners might like to find out, we have our, uh, um, well, we have our, um, we have our YouTube YouTube videos. We, we do. We have our, yeah, we have a YouTube channel which you can get to from www.fifthstep.com forward slash videos. You can find us there. Um, all of the blogs are fifthstep.com forward slash blog. Uh, yeah, blog. And uh, the podcasts are available from fifthstep.com yeah. forward slash and podcasts. You, and you're a regular uh, uh, tweeter yourself. And you're also you're on LinkedIn. You can follow uh, Darren on LinkedIn, where he's quite a prolific blogger on there as well. So Yeah, you can follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find both myself and Darren Ray on LinkedIn, but also Fifthstep. Um, so you can follow the entire organisation and see the stuff that we're posting out there, um, not just the uh, not just the content. And not to here. forget, we've uh, we've plugged the uh, little book of GDPR, but we are, I don't think we've talked too much about the CIO Navigator, which is another book you've been busily busily writing over the last six months. But a lot of the themes that came out of Monte Carlo are covered uh, in some length in, in that book, which is uh, you know big tome on on the on, on the, the IT market, which. Any self-respecting CIO, I imagine, should should, should be reading. Uh, well, not just CIOs. I recommend the entire Podchip uh, uh, listenership should uh, should read it as part of their homework, Chris. Good stuff. Okay. Well, thanks again, Darren. Thanks, Chris. Thanks.